Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Tonight on The Readout. When you said in that video that Ms. Leeds would not be your first choice, you were referring to her physical looks, correct? Just the overall. Not I, I look at her. I see her. I hear what she says. Whatever. You wouldn't be a choice of mine either, to be honest with you. I hope you're not insulted. I would not, under any circumstances, have any interest in you. His defense lawyers must be shaking their heads. Trump just casually launching a misogynistic attack on the plaintiff's lawyer in the deposition in his civil rape trial. Plus, Clarence and Ginny Thomas's wealthy friends always seem to be there in their time of need. Whether it was a much needed yacht trip, pricey private school tuition, a steady job for Ginny, and none of it, none of it was disclosed. In fact, it was hidden. What were those donors actually buying? And Tucker's next act, his racism, misogyny, and passionate love for Viktor Orban's Christian nationalism means he won't have to wait for long for his next paycheck from the radical right. But we begin tonight with Donald Trump's testimony in E. Jean Carroll's civil case against him over allegations that he raped her in a department store in the 1990s. No, Trump did not actually take the witness stand before both sides rested their cases yesterday. But that did not mean the jury missed out on their chance to hear directly from him. That's because Carroll's lawyer played a large part of Trump's video deposition from last October. And it makes it clear why Trump would do himself no favors by appearing before the jury. Asked about the content of his infamous Access Hollywood video that he later claimed was just locker room talk, Trump appeared to double down on those gross remarks. In this video, I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet, just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Grab them by the You can do anything. That's what you said, correct? Well, historically, that's true with stars. It's true with stars that, that they can grab women by the Well, that's what it's. If you look over the last million years, I guess that's been largely true. Not always, but largely true. Unfortunately or fortunately. And you consider yourself uh, to be a star? I think you can say that, yeah. I, what, what does he mean, unfortunately or fortunately? He also reiterated his claims that the accusation was all a hoax because Carol was, quote, not his type. Even though in the same deposition, he misidentified a picture of Carol for his ex-wife, Marla Maples. It's Marla. You're saying Marla's in this photo? That's Marla, yeah. That's, that's my wife. Which woman are you pointing to? No. That's Here. Carol. Oh, is that? The oh, person okay. you just pointed to was oh, Eugene Carroll. Who is that? Who is this? And the person, the woman on the right is your then wife, I don't Ramana? know. This was the picture. Ramana. I assume that's John Johnson. Is that that's Carol? Because it's very blurry. 
Yeah, sure. That's right. That's right. I'm sure the picture must have been blurry, except it actually wasn't. Here's the picture. Here's the picture that Trump was holding that shows him from behind facing Carol and her then husband with Trump's then wife, Ivana, standing to his right. We have added a picture, helpfully, of Marla Maples to the screen so you can see that they are two different people. It sure does look like Carol fit his type. During the deposition, Trump also went on to insult E. Jean Carroll's lawyer, Roberta Kaplan, saying she wouldn't be his choice either under any circumstances. So I guess she should be relieved that he wouldn't try to rape her, allegedly. Yesterday, before leaving Ireland, where instead of participating in the trial, he was hanging out at his golf resorts, Trump claimed he was returning early to confront his case, even saying he would probably attend the trial. And even though Trump's lawyers rested their case, the judge is giving Trump until 5 p.m. on Sunday to change his mind and take the witness stand. If not, closing arguments are set to begin on Monday. Joining me now is Joyce Vance, former U.S. attorney, professor at the University of Alabama Law School and MSNBC legal analyst, and David K. Johnston, founder of DCReport.org and author of The Big Cheat, How Donald Trump Fleeced America and Enriched Himself and His Family. And David, you've been covering Trump for a long time. One would think he at least knows the difference between Marla Maples, Ivana, and a woman he says... He didn't know her at all, and yet he points to E. Jean Carroll. Let me put the picture up again and says, oh, yeah, 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 that, yeah that's, that's Marla. And it wasn't. What does that say about him? That and the fact that he couldn't remember what year he was married to Ivana, what year he was married to Marla, and wouldn't even ask about, uh, answer about when he was married to his current wife, Melania. And to Donald, all women look alike. It's as simple as that. Uh, they're not human beings. Donald sees all the rest of us as objects. And he's been this way. I've known him for 35 years. Uh, he's been that way from the beginning. And he's very strategic about people he thinks can help or hurt him as a general rule. But, you know, uh, none of us are human beings to him. We're objects to be used. And I'm not the least bit surprised that he could look at a very clearly focused picture of E. Jean Carroll and say, that's Marla. And, and yeah. of course, by the way, E. Jean Carroll, not at 79, but at the time this happened when she was in her early 50s, absolutely his type. So this is just how Donald operates. Donald's mind is a very simple point to it, Joy. If he says it, that makes it so. He creates his own reality. And if you don't buy it, well, fake news. You know, Joyce, but if your whole defense strategy is to say that E. Jean Carroll can't remember minute details about that day, what floor were you on? What what time did it happen? Um, you know, and asking her all these minute memory questions, and that is your defense because they're not putting on an active defense. Then when you can't remember basic details in the deposition, that gets played for the jury feels to me like that undermines your defense. Well, I think that's right, Joy. I mean, this is about a credibility battle between two witnesses, one of whom did not come to the courthouse, did not sit in the courtroom during the trial, did not testify, and then gave this really lackluster deposition performance. So if you're Eugene Carroll's attorney, Roberta Kaplan, you are likely very content to play this deposition and to let the jury see for themselves that this is an individual who has a bad memory when it serves him and who, as David says, will not hesitate to make facts up when he needs to do that to get across the reality that he hope exists. It'll be up to the jury to sort that out and, and decide what they believe really happened here.
Let me play this because the, the idea, right, it, it's, it, he sort of testified without testifying because the deposition then basically stands in for his testimony, right? So the judge, you know, presumably to try to make sure that there's nothing left on appeal to say he didn't do go out of his way to be fair. Let me just read a little bit of a transcript of, of Joe Tacopina, Trump's lawyers, and the, the judge. So this is a sidebar between them. Joe Tacopina, I'm going to rest. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to rest. The judge, I understand. Mr. Tacopina, okay, the court. Uh, and then I may well, it, uh, and then that may well prove to be the case, but I will wait and see, Mr. Tacopina. And then the court, uh, I'm not implying dishonesty on your part. Tacopita, no, I know you're not. I know you're not. I know you're not. But you understand what I am dealing with. And the judge goes on to say, Joyce, that he's going out of his way to run the trial fairly and appropriately and to make sure that both sides have a fully fair trial. Do you read that as the judge saying, you're not going to try to catch me on appeal and say you didn't get every opportunity to testify? Because he's literally in Europe a couple of days ago saying, I'm going to come back and face my accuser. But yet his lawyer says, no, he's not. Right. I think this is the judge making every effort to hold Trump accountable. Look, this is how it works in a civil case. E. Jean Carroll could have subpoenaed Trump to testify. Her lawyers chose not to, I think likely because the deposition testimony is just so startlingly good for them. Trump can voluntarily choose to testify if he wants to. He did not. He relinquished that right. But after he made those comments on the golf course in Ireland, it was almost as though you could see him setting up the future argument. Well, I wanted to testify, but I couldn't. The judge wouldn't let me. I was off on business. And so now here's Judge Kaplan bending over backwards, giving him this last opportunity to cut in and testify and foreclosing for all time Trump's ability to complain about how he was treated in this courtroom. Yeah. And David, you know, he would be a disaster on the witness stand. Let's just be clear. I mean, this is a man whose his defense against the rape charges. They're not my type. He would be a disaster on the stand, right? Well, and there's another place in the deposition where I think he really damns himself. Uh, he says that when E. Jean Carroll went on Anderson Cooper on the other network, CNN, that he described uh, what happened between them as sexy. Well, no, what she said was people think rape is sexy. It's not. It's awful and it's violent. But what better indication of how Donald turns any word he can to turn truth on its head? And he's done this his whole life. I mean, this is a man whose casinos plied sixth, seventh and eighth graders who had money with liquor and limousines and hotel rooms. There there is no moral core here in this man. And the, the, the case putting him on the witness stand, that would be a worse nightmare than Tacopina made clear to Judge Kaplan simply being Trump's lawyer has to be. (laughs) <laughs> let, let just stay with you just for a second, because it's not just that. So now we now know that there's one, you know, to move on to one of his other many cases in the Mar-a-Lago documents case, he's now got a former staffer testifying or, you know, cooperating. How, how nervous do you think he might be about that, about hiding documents? Oh, Donald's going to be very worried about that. And worse for Donald, he's going to run into something called criminal criminal procedure rule 43, which grows out of an 1892 Supreme Court case. He was able to skip the E. Jean Carroll trial because it's civil. When you're tried criminally in any court in this country, you must be there for every single second of the proceedings. And he may well find he has to campaign for president sitting at the defense table in one of several trials next year. 
Wow. Uh, let, let, let me come back to you on this choice because yes, there's yet another case. Obviously, the Fonnie Willis case is also still out there and live. So the Washington Post first reported uh, NBC has now matched that uh, has now matched that reporting. At least eight of these Trump electors have accepted immunity in the Georgia investigation, at least eight of them. Um, and, and I want to read uh, Blaine, Blaine Alexander, the great Blaine Alexander, um, has some additional reporting on it. I just want to read this to you, Joyce. It appears these immunity deals require some sort of cooperation but importantly, do not require the electors to admit wrongdoing or flip on other electors. And then this part, all of the electors remain united in their collective innocence and defenses and none testified or believed that they or any other elector committed any wrongdoing, much less criminal acts, the filing says. Joyce, answer for me, why would you give somebody immunity if they are admitting to no crime? Don't they have to admit to somebody committing a crime? And if it ain't other electors, that really only in my mind leaves one other person well, a few other people, one of them is named Donald Trump. So this would not be a typical posture for immunity. Typically, witnesses will get immunity from prosecution in exchange for testifying truthfully about other important matters. You know, sometimes it's the case that a witness thinks, well, I didn't do anything wrong, but I'm afraid that if I testify truthfully, you might use it against me. So I want immunity before I'll tell you my story. Here, though, we know that that Willis did send um, letters to these individuals indicating that she was considering prosecuting them. And so that suggests that there might be some difference of opinion between these individuals and prosecutors about what their status is. But the reality is that if they are not going to be talking about other electors, then as you point out, there's a limited universe of folks that they could be cooperating against. And the interesting question is whether any of these individuals had interactions with people who were coming down to Georgia, like Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who paid a visit to check on vote counting, or whether any of them had conversations with Rudy Giuliani, with other people perhaps in the campaign. It's very interesting to think about who might have encouraged them to form this fake slate of electors, what they were told, and what they did as a result of that. It's a big, wide universe for Fonnie Willis here. Yeah, because I did. It, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know everything about the law, but it doesn't seem like you get immunity for nothing. <laughs> you have to be talking about something that's got to be a crime. Uh, Joyce Vance and David K. Johnston, uh, thank you both very much. Up next on the readout, the Clarence Thomas scandal deepens with new revelations about a right wing activist's secret payments to his ex- insurrectiony wife. The readout continues after this. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. 
That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Last night, just as I was finishing a segment on this show about how billionaire Harlan Crow paid roughly $100,000 in boarding school tuition for the grandnephew of Clarence Thomas, the Washington Post dropped yet another story about the high-living Supreme Court justice. This time, it has to do with another one of his friends, Leonard Leo, who just happens to be the head of the Federalist Society. Leo, as you may have heard on this show, is the architect of the current conservative Supreme Court and the current federal bench. According to the Washington Post, Leo arranged for Ginny Thomas to get paid tens of thousands of dollars for consulting work over a 10-year period. The Post reviewed documents that showed that Leo instructed Republican pollster Kellyanne Conway, you remember her as Trump's 2016 campaign manager and alternative facts lady, to bill a nonprofit group he advises and use that money to pay Ginny Thomas. The same year, the nonprofit, the Judicial Education Project, filed a brief to the Supreme Court in a landmark voting rights case. What they uncovered next was even more disturbing. According to documents, Leo told Conway he wanted her to give Ginny Thomas another $25,000. And he emphasized that the paperwork should have no mention of Ginny, of course. Of course! Leo told the Washington Post, it is of no secret that Ginny Thomas has a long history of working on issues within the conservative movement, and part of that work has involved gauging public attitudes and sentiment. The work she did here did not involve anything connected with either the court's business or with other legal issues. And knowing how disrespectful, malicious, and gossipy people can be, I've always tried to protect the privacy of Justice Thomas and Ginny. Now, I should note that NBC News has not seen the documents cited by the Washington Post or independently verified its reporting. But yesterday... Texas Senator John Cornyn, a former judge, dug up this old defense when he was asked about the story. Well, I know Harlan Crow and I know Clarence Thomas, and they're both honorable men. Um, this is part of a 32-year smear campaign that uh, started with his confirmation hearing. I played the video for people who don't remember it, where he referred to it as a high-tech lynching. Yeah, okay. Crow told the Dallas Morning News that ProPublica, the nonprofit news organization that first published the piece on Crow and Thomas, had an agenda to destabilize the Supreme Court. So basically, for Harlan Crow, it's the media exposing Clarence and Ginny's shady behavior that's destabilizing the court, not the stench of corruption or upending 50 years of precedent to wipe out the rights of half the population or eroding church-state separation or the increasingly vindictive whining by the conservative justices. Got it. Joining me now is Melissa Murray, professor of law at New York University, and Ian Milheiser, senior correspondent at Vox and author of The Agenda, How a Republican Supreme Court is Reshaping America. I, I, Ian, welcome to the show. I, I, I want to show you a picture because I feel like it is emblematic of what we are dealing with with this current court. Here it is. It's a painting, a lovely painting that features Claire, look, old Clarence with his friends. Um, to the left of Clarence is Harlan Crow. Uh, the man in the middle under the sculpture is Mark Pauletta. He's a close family friend of the Thomases, worked in the Trump administration. 
administration, um, helping to prepare for confirmation hearings, prepare people for confirmation hearings, including two of the uh, court hearings. Um, the man in the glasses is Leonard Leo, who's funneled all that money to Ginny. Um, and then the man in the red shorts is Peter Bo Rutledge, dean of the law school at the University of Georgia, former law clerk to Thomas. And he took up a case in 2008 before the Supreme Court. And guess what? He won that case. And Clarence Thomas did not recuse. Your thoughts on this court, which does seem to be made up of a bunch of rich guys and their friends, uh, or a bunch of friends of rich guys, I should say. Yeah. So here's what shocks me about all of this. You know, when I take White House staffers out to coffee, they won't let me pay for their latte. You, you know, I used to work at a think tank. We'd have Hill staffers come over sometimes for lunch meetings, and they would always ask, mm -hmm. How much did this lunch cost? The reason why is because if it's more than $25, they're not allowed to eat it. Like everyone in government has such strict ethics rules, except for the Supreme Court. In the Supreme Court, it's apparently fine to have all of your vacations be paid for by some billionaire Republican donor. It's apparently fine to have your mother's home paid for, to have your kid's tuition paid for by a billionaire. And again, this is not how it works anywhere else in government. I don't understand why the most unaccountable people in government wind up having the least ethics rules. Yeah. I mean, Melissa, look, I, you know, when I was uh, managing editor of the period.com, I went to a lot of these sort of open uh, sort of chats with Valerie Jarrett when she was a senior White House official. You couldn't buy her a cup of coffee. Like literally everyone paid for their own lunch. It was like a brown bag situation. They, as Ian said, this is so strict. And then these guys, it really looks to the outside looking in, like what the Supreme Court basically is, at least as far as the conservatives are concerned, is a place where billionaires go, billionaires go to launder their ideas because these folks, especially Clarence, seem to be willing to do whatever it is far right billionaires want when it comes to their rulings. But you know, Take me and my sons on vacation. The kid who's supposedly in, you know, in need, the grandnephew, he's talked about going out to the private resort in the Adirondacks. He's talked about cruises on the super yacht, this kid Martin. He's been to the Caribbean. He's been all over the world. And he's supposedly an indigent young man who needed his tuition paid. It, it looks like oligarchy, not law. Well, to be clear, I think we have to be really precise here. This is just a smear campaign designed to delegitimize the court. So I'll just say at the outset, there are no provable allegations of corruption. But what there is here is a real appearance of impropriety. And the appearance alone, I think, is enough to be concerning. When you layer on top of that appearance of impropriety, the fact that there is an internal inconsistency in the logic of this, then it's even more pronounced. Like Justice Thomas is likely to write the majority opinion dismantling affirmative action at the end of the Supreme Court affirmative action as government largesse handed out by white people to members of colored communities. And yet here we have unbelievable displays of largesse given by one patron to this man who in other circumstances would be unwilling to have this kind of favor extended to members of minority communities. I mean, so there's an internal inconsistency here that is absolutely mind boggling. Again, you should be angry because just the appearance of this is a problem. 
Well, I mean, here's the challenge. I'll say with you just for, for a moment, Melissa. Back in 1993, the New York Times reported Clarence Thomas told clerks he wants to stay on the court until 2034. Why? The liberals made my life miserable for 43 years, and I'm going to make their lives miserable for 43 years. When you have him talking like that, when you have Scalia with these whiny, you know, you know, kvetching about anybody daring to criticize the court, and then you see that it just so happens that every single ruling by this right-wing majority just happens to align perfectly with the ideology of people like Leonard Leo and Harlan Crow. It's too coincidental, I think, for me as a non-lawyer looking at it, for it to be realistic. It feels like they're just doing the bidding of the people who pay them. And as you said, there's no proof of that, but that sure is what it looks like. How can the court have any credibility if that's the way it looks? I mean, that's the whole point, though, Joy. The court absolutely faith and trust in it as an institution in order for its opinions to have any force. The court isn't like Congress. It doesn't have the power of the purse. It's not like the president. It lacks the power of the sword. The only thing the court has to keep us obeying whatever it puts out is the fact that we believe that what the court is doing is legitimate and fair. And when these justices impair their own legitimacy, this is not the media doing this. This is the justices themselves delegitimizing the court. happens the court's institutional institutional stability is severely, severely compromised. And I imagine there are members of the court who are very concerned, among them Chief Justice John Roberts, if for no other reason, he's concerned about the appearance here. Well, uh, well, and Ian, I mean, he's not clean either. His wife gets all sorts of really goody, you know, um, sort of goodies in terms of her client list um, for her firm. It feels like all the conservatives are laughing in our faces as they take away our rights. Yeah, I mean, one thing that's come out recently is there's just ethics scandal after ethics scandal. You know, there's Roberts's wife doing the legal recruiting. There's Neil Gorsuch's land land deal. There was a story lately about Sotomayor and Gorsuch not recusing from two cases that they should have or for some cases that they should have recused from. And part of the story here is this is why you have an ethics code. I mean, one reason you have it is to stop the terrible stuff that Clarence Thomas is doing. No ethics code would allow that. But the other reason you do it is to make sure that if you have a land deal, there are rules. You can follow the rules. You can maybe have an independent investigator look at the deal if need be. And then once you've done all that, if reporters come looking at your land deal, you can say, look, here are the rules. Here's what the ethics monitor said. It's fine. The fact that they don't have a code is, you know, is hurting the court more than more than anything. And I suspect the reason why they refuse to do it is because Clarence Thomas has behaved so unethically throughout this that they can't write any kind of reasonable ethics code that wouldn't wind up sanctioning Clarence Thomas. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, instead, what we appear to have are five little princes and one little princess who lord over us and make rules that they don't even follow. Uh, they don't even follow basic ethics, and they get to write the rules for the rest of us. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. It doesn't smell good. Uh, Melissa Murray, Ian Milheiser, thank you both very much. Still ahead, Tucker Carlson may be out at Fox, but his influence continues to inject to to infect some of the darkest corners of the political world. More on that next. 
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Tucker Carlson delivered a pre-recorded message this week for CPAC Hungary that's a little awkward given recent developments. I wish I was there in Budapest. If I ever get fired and have some time and can leave, I will be there with you. But in the meantime, Godspeed, we are thinking of you and cheering you on. If I ever get fired. Aside from the fact that Tucker did have time to make it since, you know, he got fired from Fox News last week for being as privately racist as he was on TV. But of course, he's cheering on Hungary and its right wing fascist government under Viktor Orban. Whereas Fox noted last year, Orban has turned replacement theory into state ideology. Naturally, Tucker is obsessed with Hungary. He's done fawning interviews with Orban, said we could all learn lessons from Hungary, and carried Orban's water with a blatantly anti-Semitic documentary, Hungary versus George Soros. Not to mention Tucker's personal ties to Hungary. His father was on the board of a firm that lobbied for Orban in the United States. In his own speech at CPAC, Viktor Orban called Hungary an incubator for conservative policies of the future, one that is already here in America's Hungary, Florida, where Ron DeSantis has followed Orban's model to the letter. Inhumane and cruel anti-immigration laws, check. Targeting LGBTQ rights and banning LGBTQ content in schools, done that. Going to war against colleges and universities, DeSantis has checked all the boxes. So it must be really, really painful for Ron, that in Orban's speech, he also begged for the return of Donald Trump, saying, come back, Mr. President. <laughs> Joining me now is Kurt Bardella, Democratic strategist and contributor to the Los Angeles Times. Um, as the old comedian used to say, he couldn't even get a dinner. Poor DeSantis. He's out there. He's out there shilling for um, Orban's policies. And Orban's like, who's that? <laughs> so what do, you, what do you make of this? Uh, the fact that uh, his last missive, it turns out, was a Produced in Fox News Studios, missive to Hungary, uh, one Tucker. Yeah, you notice the backdrop that he had was his old show's uh, uh, theme there. And so, I mean, it, yeah. it, it's a little eerie. It's like he predicted it somehow, put it out into the world, unless I get <laughs> fired. And and sure enough, you know, it, it, it came to be I, that that's a. Uh, that's a little eerie to me, actually, that that it went down that way. Um, I mean, let, but let's also set aside the fact that he was producing you know, words for CPAC Hungary. I mean, give me a yeah. break. Well, I mean, so let, let's let's go on to what he's going to do next, because, you know, Tucker's not just going to disappear. Uh, and we're, we're not we're not that lucky uh, as, a, as a culture. Um, he's already floating ideas that he'll do his own debate, which let's just be clear. None of these people have the courage to say no. They'd all go. 
right? I mean, maybe he'll even charge for it, but this is his new idea. He'll do his own. Um, he wants to be bigger than a podcaster. You know, he would forfeit millions owed to him for his network contract to have a voice in the 2024 election, say Associates, and has talked to Donald Trump about a candidate for him. I, mean, I know he's already rich from all the um, frozen dinners, but he ain't going to forego. He's not going to forego millions. But your thoughts on that? Well, this is where Fox really kind of holds a lot of the cards in terms of letting him out of his existing contract, because if they don't, he can't go on TV until after the presidential election. And the one thing that we do know about former Fox hosts who go somewhere else and have to take, there's a gap between their TV life, it doesn't really end well. They don't ever retain the status and visibility and influence that they had while they were at Fox, whether it was Glenn Beck, whether it was Megyn Kelly, uh, Bill O'Reilly. So the worst thing that could happen to the Tucker Carlson brand, if you will, is to disappear from television. And that's why he's willing to sacrifice upfront financial gain to try to get back on TV as soon as possible. The longer that he's off TV, the less relevance that he will have, the less ability to to hold an audience. Once people realize they can live without you, they will live without you. Yeah. You know, what's interesting you say that because, I mean, Fox News, the, the particular danger of the disinformation that they put out there, Tucker, I think, was the leading disinformer. He's the one who pushed, you know, the, the Texas governor to pardon a guy who hadn't even been sentenced yet. He's the one who floated the idea of getting rid of CRT. A lot of those were his ideas, the great replacement theory. That came from him. No one talks about what Laura Ingraham says. They just talk about what he says, right? The idea that right now Toronto— Canada, sorry, that Canada is considering, the Toronto Star reporting, that Canada is actually considering banning Fox News, specifically for their anti-LGBTQ, what they call hatred and violence. What they cite is an open letter by an LGBTQ group called EGAL Canada, and after it was featured and attacked by Tucker. What do you think of the idea that Canada might actually nix Fox News because of him? I think that that would be acting healthily and responsibly and and making sure that there's some sort of uh, filter on ensuring that misinformation and efforts to incite violence and attacks against people, uh, you know, that that are different, that 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 shouldn't happen. I mean, it it is absurd that we've seen these bad actors take advantage of press freedom. We see every day examples around the world of what it looks like when there is no press freedom, when there is oppression by governments. How can people here treat it this way, this, this, this privilege that we have uh, that is such a hallmark of our country, a foundation of our republic? How can you treat something like that so you know, that, that we should cherish and protect and safeguard uh, that other people around the world would do anything to have this type of freedom and to have people like Tucker and people at Fox who are still currently there at this second, the people who work in the MAGA universe to, to treat our institutions like this, uh, you know, what, what Canada's doing, it, it's an act of self-defense to ensure that they don't become infected the way that people in our country have. Yeah, and if they do it, it'll be interesting to see what the EU does, what Great Britain does, what New Zealand does, what other countries that actually care about stopping disinformation do. And Fox has admitted they, they ain't news, they entertainment. They're like, don't take him seriously. It's not news. I mean, they're, um, a, well, they're a walking weapon of mass destruction, basically. So, yeah, what would you do to stop a weapon of mass destruction coming into your backyard? That's what Canada's doing. Yeah, we shall see. Kurt Bardella, thank you very much. He won the week is still ahead. But first, how an allegedly pro-choice Democrat in North Carolina betrayed her constituents with an unexpected and inexplicable decision to switch parties. We'll be right back.
On Thursday, North Carolina's Republican-controlled state Senate passed legislation that would ban most abortions after 12 weeks. It is a win for the forced birth movement. Thanks to State Representative Trisha Cotham, a longtime Democrat who unexpectedly switched parties, granting Republicans narrow supermajorities in both chambers. Representative Cotham was elected as a Democrat to represent a Democratic stronghold in her purple state. She campaigned to protect women's choice. Check out what she tweeted in 2022, months before voters elected her. Quote, we need leaders who will be unwavering and unapologetic in their support of abortion rights. I'll fight to codify Roe and continue my strong record of defending the rights you choose, unquote. Back in 2015, on the House floor, Cotham even shared her own abortion story during a speech against restrictions in her state. This decision was up to me, my husband, my doctor, and my God. It was not up to any of you in this chamber. Abortion is a deeply personal decision. It should not be a political debate. My womb and my uterus is not up for your political grab. Legislators, you do not hold shares in my body. So stop trying to manipulate my mind. Joining me now is Democratic pollster Fernand Amandi and Tim Miller, writer at large for The Bulwark. Both are MSNBC political analysts. And Fernand, I know we, we, we all know you're from Florida, but I know you have some North Carolina background as well. Can you, in, in all of the many, many years that you've been doing political polling and working with candidates, have you ever seen anything like this? And can you come up with an explanation for how someone could go from co-authoring a bill to protect Roe to joining a supermajority and then voting to end abortion rights? I cannot make it make sense. Joy, I thought about it a lot. I cannot think of an example of such stark, shameless hypocrisy and really venal ambition on display. It's almost as if you need ProPublica to do another one of these investigative uh, stories to try and follow the money, because there's something really bizarre going on here with that state representative, especially in light of those clips you play. But I think the bigger story here, Joy, aside from the fact that Republicans are doing yet another end run around democracy, they can't do this thing at the ballot box, so they got to figure out a way to rig the system and try and get their policies passed through other means. You have to question the logic and the wisdom of poking the mama bear on this abortion issue. I've been looking at the polling on this now for over 15 years, and in the last 15 months, it has not gotten any better for the Republicans since the 2022 midterms, where this issue is what prevented them from probably taking over both houses of Congress. So this idea that they're going to keep moving forward with the forced birth movement, continue to try and deny women's rights while proclaiming themselves hypocritically as the party of freedom is going to be met with electoral apocalypse in 2024 at this rate. They cannot sustain this because the polls are not moving in their favor on this issue, Joel. You know, Tim, yeah, it doesn't make, I mean, first of all, her part is George Santos' behavior. You almost wonder, can constituents sue somebody who literally 
switched, you know, everything that they voted for them on. But on the part of the party, it, you know, Fernand makes a really good point. It doesn't make sense. They're counting this as a huge victory. They've now essentially added North Carolina to this southern block of, of unfree states for women when it was a havenist of sorts for the other states. You've got Florida with a six-week ban. No one in the Republican Party is being helped electorally by doing this. Yet in every state, even swingy states like North Carolina, why are they tripling down on it? Well, because the people that have the power in these state legislatures are the most extreme members. I, you know, you just imagine what you're seeing in the Republican Congress with these names you're familiar with, the Boberts and the Marjorie Taylor Greens. There is a, a mirror image of that happening all across these state legislators, like state legislatures where the where Republican caucus is getting crazier and crazier as people self-select out. So I think a lot of these folks aren't making rational short-term political decisions, right? They, they're, they're short-term power grabs right now while they have power within the party. And so I think that this is what you're seeing, you know, in, in North Carolina, you saw it in Tennessee, obviously, and you're going to see it and you're seeing it in the floor, Florida with the legislature that where Fernandez that that they're pushing through with DeSantis. I, and I did my uh, Snapchat this week on the DeSantis thing is a prime example of what you're talking about, uh, Joy, uh, that his extreme six week abortion ban, I don't think is even helping him in the presidential primary. It makes him seem unelectable when his best case against Donald Trump is that he would be the more electable option. He's somebody that knew how to win. He won in Florida. Trump didn't. But but he's doing it anyway uh, because of the extremism of the party, because of the incentives um, uh, that where the the you know most far right members of the base you know are, are pushing the legislative agenda. I would question and look, I would question whether he was electable in the first place, to be honest with you, pushing book bans, attacking kids, screaming at them to take their masks off, you know, pushing all of this sort of really attacking Disney. Let me read you what 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 was said about him when he went overseas. Let's see if we can find this. So he goes overseas and essentially what people say is he was underwhelming. He's in Great Britain. People say they met him. He stared at the floor throughout most, most of the speech that he was giving or the most of the time that he's in London for Nan. He did not impress. Let's put it that way. He looked bored, stared at his feet. Um, the, the, the message was he wasn't presidential. This ain't the guy. Nobody looked at him and said, this is a man going places, is one of the quotes for Nan. He was horrendous, low wattage. Nobody in the room was left thinking he's going places. I don't understand why people ever thought he was electable. Fernand, did, did, did you see the magic? Because I never saw it. I mean, the, the magic for him was that he was the Trump chosen one, and he kind of had that MAGA, a little halo effect. But but the truth is, he's the beta in the cockpit right now. Trump is going to hit the eject button. He has already done it. His poll numbers have been, I, I haven't seen the type of meltdown in the Republican primary polling since we go back to the time of Scott Walker uh, almost eight years ago. Ron DeSantis, I think, has fatally inflicted uh, damage to the, his candidacy, Joy, that it's not going to come back. And what's amazing is even in Florida, you're noticing you have Florida Republican donors that are tapping the brakes right now saying, uh, uh, not comfortable with what this guy's doing. The Disney thing already was a bridge too far. And the fact that Disney stood up and filed that countersuit, I'm telling you, I feel it for the first time in almost seven years in Florida. The tide has turned and Ron DeSantis is on the wrong end. He's scrambling right now, which is why he's trying to now rush an announcement that he didn't want to really do until the end of this month or early next month because the campaign has slipped away from him, Joy. Yeah, let me, let, let, 
let me show you this video. This is the, this is what people see when now they think about Ron DeSantis. All the headlines are like this now. Them arresting, sending 40 cops to arrest the Dream Defenders, 14 people who are doing this in his office. That's what he's seeing. Uh, one more to you, Tim, because this is not just in Florida. You have Lauren Boebert at a time when mass shootings are happening twice a day, going out and wearing a shirt that says an AR-15 is a hole puncher when there are people mourning their children dying. You've got the Louisiana legislature refusing to fund school lunches and at the same time raising their own salaries. It's almost like they're daring or sorry, rejecting the minimum wage. That's the newest one. Rejecting the minimum wage, but then raising their own pay. It's almost like Republicans are daring people to vote them out because they know they've gerrymandered themselves in. Is that what it is? Is that they just know that they can't be voted out because they've gerrymandered themselves in? In a lot of these places, there's no political repercussions. Part of it is gerrymandering. Part of it is just our partisan times that, you know, it's, it's not like you have the blue dog Democrats in these red states, you know, uh, anymore that where where there's enough power to kind of push back against against the Republican majority. So I think both those things are happening. But again, I, the other thing, you have to just look at where the incentives are coming from and, and to get onto Fox to get the media, to get the small dollar donors, you have to continue to push the envelope. And that is, and, and that, and there's just this perverse incentive structure with the Republican party that's driving them into the, over the cliff. And it is hurting them in certain places. It is the reason why Democrats are winning Georgia and Arizona, but in places like Louisiana, Tennessee, you know, the, the, the politicians feel protected from this. I don't know if Ron DeSantis should, just really quick to Fernand's point, I, I, there's a lack of appreciation that Ron DeSantis did do some extreme stuff in his first two years, but he also tried to appeal to the moderate Republicans. He's totally given up on that over the last six months as he tries to run his presidential campaign. And I think it might hurt him on both fronts, both at home and national. I think he's a, he's a, he's a hot mess and, and has zero personality. And he's, he's Trump without the personality. So Tim and Fernand are going to stay with me because up next, we're going to play Who on the Week? Missy Elliott. She's getting in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but did she win the week? We'll find out. We made it to the end of another week, which means it's time to play our favorite game. Ah, yes. Who won the week? Fernanda Mondi and Tim Miller are back with me. Fernand, who won the week? Joey, a lot of contenders, but for me, ProPublica. With what they've done exposing the open, naked corruption by Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court, they're doing a service to the country and showing old school journalism how it should be done. ProPublica won the week. Amen, amen, amen. Tim Miller, who won the week? Gene Carroll for finally making Trump uh, answer for his serial sexual assault under oath. And her amazing lawyer, Robbie Kaplan, for taking it to him so hard in that deposition that Trump had to lash out at her and say, you're not my type either. And I <laughs> promise you, the feeling is mutual. Good on you, Robbie <laughs> Kaplan. What, listening to that deposition was mind blowing. Uh, Trump in his without all the shtick is actually a bit pathetic. All right. My who won the week is one who won one for the nerds. Uh, his name is Justin Ricketts. He is a high school rising senior at Suncoast Community High School in Florida. And he got a perfect score of 1600 on his SATs. Only 8% of the class of 2021 scored above a 1400, making his 1600 perfect score and incredibly rare feat. Uh, go South Florida. Fernando's going to appreciate that one. He is from, uh, from, from our part of Florida, from South Florida. So go Justin Ricketts. He's going to be somebody huge someday. And hopefully he'll remember the little people. Fernando Mandy, Tim Miller, thank you very much. That is tonight's readout.
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.